Welcome, welcome, welcome to this special LCX Insights Live. In our live video shows, I'm engaging with the world's top blockchain project, with entrepreneurs, with investors and pioneers in crypto and digital in honest conversations meant to challenge traditional ways of thinking. My name is Monty Metzger and I'm founder and CEO at LCX. LCX is a regulated fintech company that focuses on digital asset trading, compliant token offerings and tokenization. LCX has received eight blockchain-related approvals by the Liechtenstein regulator more than any other company in the country. And as you know, Liechtenstein is a country next to Switzerland and Austria in the heart of Europe. And the country has received a AAA rating from Standard & Poor's. That's the highest rating possible as a country. But even more important, Liechtenstein has introduced the for most forward-thinking legal framework for cryptocurrencies and blockchain companies, providing legal clarity and security for our LCX users. Today's show title is from the internet of information to the internet of value. And today's guest is one of the most sought after visionaries in business and technologies. Uh, Wikipedia is one of the fifth most popular website in the world, moving towards the goal of free access for all the sum of human knowledge. Um, he is also the founder of Wikitribune Social, which is a groundbreaking collaborative editable social networking platform that will change the way we digest news. Um, he had been named thoughtful, thoughtful, visionary, inspiring, and absolutely wonderful. Uh, I know him since a very long time, and he had been named also by Times Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people on the planet. Um, he is contributing to the World Economic Forum and is um, a frequent speaker and thought leader. Uh, he is most famous for being known as the founder of Wikipedia, and he's a, an advisor at LCX. So I'm very proud to welcome here at LCX Insights Live, Mr. Jimmy Wells. Where are you? Hello. How welcome. are you? Very good. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, as you can see. I Excellent. apologize, yep. everyone, for my my hot appearance, but I'm in London, and it's uh, very hot today in London. So. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for bringing this hot energy here in the, in the show. <laughs> and I think here is summertime is, is important um, for London to that you get some some sun and it's not raining all the time. Um, but now let's let's dive right into a couple of topics. And I think the, mm -hmm. the audience is um, excited to learn about your journey, your experience. And now what are your your thoughts on the current digital industry in the blockchain industry. Mm. Um, let's begin with Wikipedia. Um, could you describe what is Wikipedia from mm. your perspective right now? Mm. And, and, and how big is it at the moment in terms of community and visitors? Yeah, so, well, you know, Wikipedia is, uh, as you say, it's one of the five most visited websites in the world. Uh, we have hundreds of millions of uh, visitors every month. Uh, we see something like one and a half billion devices every month, which of course doesn't mean mm -hmm. one and a half billion people because um, obviously people, uh, you know, I, you and I probably both visit Wikipedia on our phone and on our laptop and so forth, but it's huge and it's a really, really big community and very uh, stable and mature community. And 
I think a part of what has been really interesting about Wikipedia throughout the entire era is that we've always had this core value of neutrality in the community, which has been a, a really fantastic technique to allow people who have different perspectives to work together uh, in a thoughtful way. So the idea is let's look for the, the highest quality sources, let's be fair to all viewpoints, let's try to explain topics rather than polemicize or argue about uh, them. Uh, and that's worked reasonably well. Obviously, it's a, it's a loud and noisy community and all of that. Uh, but it's, it's been an incredible journey. Um, and of course, we started from, you know, nothing. I mean, it's a, it's a very uh, classic uh, sort of entrepreneurial startup story. I mean, I remember uh, typing the first words, making the first edit of Wikipedia. Uh, and, you know, uh, in the olden days, I used to personally go and in install servers in the racks uh, back when you did that at the, at the data center. Um, and, you know, now we've become part of the infrastructure of the world. So that's been an amazing journey. Um, and, you know, it's, it's what I always say about, uh, about all these things is, mm -hmm. you know, the, there's a sort of a myth of entrepreneurship which a story like Wikipedia might lead you down that path, which is, you know, you have one brilliant idea and it goes straight to the moon and, and you know, so on and so forth. Usually it ends with, and then you become the richest person in the world and you fly to space. But uh, in my case, obviously we're a charity. So that, that part, the last part didn't happen, but it's also, it is a myth. And uh, you know, I always say my, my path and my journey as an entrepreneur is much more typical of what, a, a lot of young entrepreneurs need to get their heads around. I mean, the stories of the the Mark Zuckerbergs, uh, you know, or the Google guys or whatever, where they start with one fantastic idea and it just goes to the moon. That's really quite rare. That's not the normal path, even for a lot of really successful entrepreneurs. Um, mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, sort of getting comfortable with ideas of failure, getting comfortable with what it means to innovate, which means you're trying things that don't always work out. Uh, and you have to pivot and you have to, you know, rethink and, and sort of come to new ideas as you learn along the path. That's really what entrepreneurship is all about. And, and I think that's important because a lot of people who could be great entrepreneurs can be a little bit intimidated by that process, right? Uh, or they, they start out right. and they try something and it doesn't work and they become completely disheartened. And instead to say, oh, no, actually, if I tried something and it didn't work out, I'm still in a much better position than the person who never tried anything at all because I've learned, mm -hmm. I've become more, you know, sort of skilled and, and hardened. Uh, and I now am in a better position to move on to the next thing. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. I, th I think what, what makes uh, Wikipedia so special is the community and um, yeah. we're, we're excited and, and, and honored to have you as an advisor at LCX. And I think the key value you bring in is really, I always call you the community whisperer because <laughs> Wikipedia has 5.6 billion monthly visitors at the moment from recent numbers and has uh, like 42 million. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, that sounds too high to me. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it has 42 million registered users, according to, to latest data. So yeah. now with like more than 40 million users uh, on the platform, and then there's a percentage who are like really active probably mm. on, on a daily basis. Yeah. What are kind of your magic rules 
to get to a large community, how to build mm. a community like that, and, and what makes the Wikipedia community so special? So, I mean, one of the things that I always like to talk about is how the word community is often overused or used incorrectly when we, when we talk about uh, the Internet. I mean, a lot of people use the word community when they should just be saying the general public. Um, for me, a community is always a group of people who they don't. All, it's not that everybody knows everybody, but they know each other. Uh, you know, it's like yeah. if you if you live in a a town of eighty thousand people, that's a community. You don't know all eighty thousand people, but you know a lot of people. They know other people, and so on. And for us, we've never really, you know, one of the reasons Wikipedia has been successful is we've always said this isn't a social wide open social network platform where you come and say whatever you like. This is a, a project to build an encyclopedia. And so we have a lot of rules. We have a lot of, you know, um, uh, very long standing processes and procedures and debates and dialogues and things like this. So, you know, one of the things that we, we don't look at, for example, we could, we could radically increase the number of people who are editing Wikipedia um, but we don't want to, right? We, we do want to radically in, increase the number of thoughtful, kind people who are who have the Wikipedia spirit, but just increasing the number of people just for the sake of it has never been a goal. It's really all about how do we make Wikipedia as good as it possibly can be? And so that means, you know, unlike, uh, you know, in, in this era, we've seen this enormous kind of uh, backlash and there's a lot of deep concerns about the, unhealthiness of social media, um, you know, the trolling, the abuse, and so on and so forth. At Wikipedia, we've never tolerated any of that stuff. Um, we block people. Mm -hmm. And, and by, when I say we, I don't mean the Wikimedia Foundation, which is the charity that owns and operates Wikipedia. I mean, we, the community, block people um, yeah. a lot because we have rules like no personal attacks, right? Can you imagine? I don't know what Twitter would be like if that rule against personal attacks since 99% of what's on Twitter is people attacking each other. But we've always said, no, like, if you want to attack people, there's plenty of places to attack people all over the Internet. It's not welcome in Wikipedia. Wikipedia, what we're here to do is improve the encyclopedia. And so, ironically, rules that are, in many ways, exclusionary for certain behaviors are actually inclusive in terms of bringing more people in, a more diverse audience. Uh, we do struggle. We want to be even more diverse than we are. That's a whole other conversation. But in general, the, the core to what has made the Wikipedia community great is a set of ethical uh, concepts, ethical guidelines to say, look, you're not here to engage in battleground mentality. You're here to work collaboratively with others to try to improve the situation. That doesn't mean everybody agrees all the time, of course. But it means, and it also doesn't mean there are never any personal attacks in Wikipedia. I mean, we're human beings, yeah. so it's a bit messy. But the idea is like, okay, if you come in and you call somebody, you know, a Nazi, right? Uh, that's not really what you should be doing at Wikipedia. And, uh, you know, basically, you should apologize, right? And you should say, actually, look, I really strongly disagree with what you said. And, you know, if somebody else is attacking you, then you don't attack back. You basically go, hey. You know, you're going to get blocked if you keep misbehaving. Like we have, we have rules here. Like this isn't this isn't anarchy. Mm -hmm. So that's worked really, really well for us, and has allowed the community to to thrive and grow over the years. Yes, yeah, I think th these are 
these are incredible important points this autonomous uh, organization in, in a way um <laughs> self-controlling the content and mm. and the information you're putting out and now I think it's it's also about reputation because um, everybody's quoting Wikipedia. So the, the mm. importance, like at the beginning, probably it was not that relevant, but now mm. it is super relevant. Like if you change a piece yeah, of definitely. history, suddenly, yeah. Um, yeah. incredible. So in in the in the decentralized finance, the DeFi world and the blockchain world, um, a lot of organizations are started now as a DAO. Decentralized Autonomous Organization (DAO) um, and to like self-organize themselves to uh, create this blockchain, which is fully decentralized. But actually, when I look at Wikipedia, it is like a DAO. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah. in a way, because it's it's self-organizing uh, in in so many ways. Um, so, can you tell me like how? did that start like how did you get people working and or spending time for free and and putting yeah uh, putting in the power there in in terms of yeah, yeah like so, time I mean, engagement passion yeah. everything they put into wikipedia yeah so I, i think a big a big piece of what is important about wikipedia if we want to think about the motivations that people have like why are people really pouring their hearts into the project. And it really is, um, it's two things. One, uh, you know, if you spend uh, an afternoon improving some obscure topic in Wikipedia and making it better, then you, you can go to bed that night thinking, okay, the world is a little bit better than it was. Like before, when I woke up this morning, there wasn't a great article uh, on this person and now there is, I've improved the world. And then two, it's just fun. Like you meet other people who are interested in the same topics you're in, they help you, you collaborate, and working together you can create something much better than you could create on your own because different people have different background, different knowledge, and they can just help you. They can, can help each other and share in the in the effort. And so that that idea that it's fun and that it's productive in the real sense of the world is better, like you've constructed something better in the world, That's a huge motivation to people. Um, and, you know, if you think about, you know, people do things that are fun but not productive. So you could you could spend your Saturday playing Grand Theft Auto, uh, probably fun. But when you go to bed that night, you don't think, well, the world's a better place now because I, uh, I don't know, stole three cars <laughs> or whatever you do in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Um, you, you just think, oh, I played a game and probably a waste of time. Uh, and so th those are the elements. And I think one of the things that comes up fairly often when people come to Wikipedia from a, a sort of DAO or blockchain perspective is that world can often have a very narrow understanding of human motivation and interests. So people mm -hmm. in immediately go to concepts about how could people get paid for editing Wikipedia? How could you people could bid and whoever pays the highest price wins what Wikipedia says. But we yeah. really reject all of those ideas. Like those, those are not helpful because for Wikipedia, uh, well, you can imagine, uh, you know, imagine an entry about some big but boring company. Uh, you know, let's imagine Exxon and the article about the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Yeah. Okay. Let's not have that, entry about that piece of history go to the highest bidder 
right? That shouldn't be paid for by Exxon PR people. Like that's really anathema to the idea of knowledge. Um, and so a lot of the ideas that people come up with in this area just really don't work. Um, another element of that is, you know, people say to me, oh, wow, like venture capitalists must really love. So, one, you know, another project of mine is now Fandom. So Fandom is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like over 100,000 wiki communities, an enormously popular website, um, 350 million unique visitors every month, something like that. Uh, you know, it's huge. And somebody said to me, oh, the venture capitalists must love it that people come and they write all this wiki content for free. And I'm like, yeah, no, actually, it's what's funny is venture capitalists are the only people who've ever said, oh, what if you paid people like a dollar every time they wrote a page? Wouldn't that? And, I, and so here's what I say. I'm like, okay, here's, here's your topic. Um, uh, Game of Thrones, very popular TV show. It has huge fans who are massively into it. Who's going to write yeah. a better article? The person you paid a dollar or the person who did it because they love the show and they love the mythology of the show and they want to meet other people who are into what they're into and they want to discuss it and debate it and they want to make the best possible article. That's mm -hmm. who's going to write your great article. So you can, in order yeah. to make good content, good work out of people, you can either give them a great place in a community and, and make it fun or you can just pay them a proper journalist salary, right? Pay them mm -hmm. plenty money and they'll do a good job but the idea that you could pay people like micro payments to get them to incentivize them to behave well hasn't really worked and that's not because yeah. micro payments haven't existed uh it's because the incentive structure doesn't really work that way and so this is where you know people come to wikipedia and they're thinking about oh now we've got this technology that can empower this kind of a marketplace but not everything should be in a marketplace, right? I don't want to. I don't want to bid mm. against my brother for what we're going to eat for Christmas dinner. Um, it doesn't make yeah. any sense, you know. Uh, and so it, it's. I call it the, the the classic kind of. If all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail uh, issue. Yeah. Uh, so. But I think you're you're tackling here like human motivation, and um, in in previous talks we had. You also told me about all your experience in multiplayer online games and games uh, in general online gaming and, and your passion behind it. When I look at Wikipedia, um, I also see some gamification models. Like there's a reputation of editors. There's a, mm. there, there's a motivation why they should contribute. Um, what are the key elements there in terms of, like, did you intentionally put these things in or was it in your... Um, consciousness or something that you put these elements in the in the system i mean to a, to an extent we have very consciously pushed very hard not to have gamification uh okay to avoid that whole world and the whole concept what what we do have yes reputation but it's not like a gamified reputation mm -hmm. so in wikipedia you don't end up with a score you know like oh i've got 1300 points Uh, because I'm a great Wikipedian, it's like you have a reputation the same way you have a good reputation with your friends or with your work colleagues or maybe more broadly. So yeah. within Wikipedia, there are people who are very well known as being great Wikipedians. So why are they great mm -hmm. Wikipedians? Well, they write well, they, they are neutral, they look at quality sources. They're also the great Wikipedians are the ones who can 
come into a complicated situation and actually work with multiple people and reach a consensus and, mm -hmm. and stop people from just like uselessly fighting and fighting and fighting, which isn't actually helpful at all. And so yeah. all of those things aren't scored. There's no algorithms. Uh, it's just like, oh, wow, like we need, we need New York Brad in here because New York Brad is really smart and really knows how to help us figure out the problem uh, and can be, you know, and is a great Wikipedia who, who yeah. lots of people respect. Uh, and that's really important. And that's where that's where I get to this idea of a community. And in fact, this is this is the way if we think about uh, other parallels. So open source software communities mm -hmm. uh, typically work the same way. You know, yes. like there are people who are legendary even within certain projects. Right. So, you know, within a particular open source software project, you'll have people who maybe aren't famous uh, sort mm -hmm. of throughout the whole open source world, but in that project, people will go like, oh, yeah, this person, basically, you know, when we were facing a huge challenge in the code, this person figured it out, rewrote that whole problematic section of the code, and now everything is fantastic. And that's mm -hmm. meaningful to people, and that's, that's human and meaningful, right? It's very yeah. personal. And people do care about that sort of thing, not because they get a score or a badge, uh, but they care about that because the people who respect them are people that they themselves respect. So I don't, I don't care about if I'm a coder, I don't care about the respect of randos on the internet. Right. But if, if I think, Oh, this is a great team of great coders and I've done great work and they think my work is good. Hey, that's validating. That's meaningful because mm -hmm. I'm getting feedback from people who I respect. That's amazing. And so that this is where, a lot of ideas around. So where gamification can work and can be useful, uh, right, is when you don't have community. If you don't have a real community, then, mm -hmm. you know, so for example, if I'm on eBay and I'm thinking of buying something and I click and I look and I say, oh, wow, this person has a thousand transactions and a, you know, 99% uh, rating. Uh, I think, okay, great. Like, this is great. And, and it's not yeah. because there's a community. It's because they've gamified it and they've got some metrics. And, and in that case, it works very well, which means, by the way, <clears throat> in a lot of the more transactional blockchain kind of concepts, there is room for that kind of thing, right? Because you can mm -hmm. say, actually, the point here is not like a small group where reputation really matters in the sense of, um, you know, I want you know, Alice to respect me because I think Alice is very good at this. And if I, if Alice respects me, that means validating because I, I respect Alice. It's more like, oh, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to sell this person something. And I have no idea who they are, but the system says, you know, like a lot of people have given them a thumbs up. So, okay. That's very yeah. good. And actually I also wanted to point out, so it's a live okay. chat here. So people can, um, put in their question on YouTube and then I can pick some of them. So we're already getting getting some applause here from Harish Mera, for example, and then I also some some uh, acknowledgement here from StreetNone. Hey, Jamie, you made my <laughs> four-year-old a living book. He, he knows everything and taxonomy better than my college professor all the way of Wikipedia. So That's thanking great. you on behalf of Benjamin. That's well, his son, if, I, if, I assume. If Benjamin spots any errors, then uh, Benjamin should make an edit. And I, I, I have so many friends. Young, but yeah. 
Yeah, I have so many friends who just like love to read Wikipedia all the time and learn and educate themselves. Um, but the key question, like when when did you start? When was the kind of first year or months or when did you go so, online? Uh, 2001, uh, so 20 years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, okay, six years, was, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, which uh, day or month do you remember? January 15th. Okay, so you had the big celebration now this January then. Yeah, 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 we did. I mean, it's it's unfortunate. So 10 years ago here in London, I had a big uh, party, uh, yeah. you know, invited people. We had a Wikipedia Globe and we had a string quartet and Richard Dawkins spoke and so on. Like we had a, yeah. It was a great celebration. So I've been looking forward for a few years thinking, oh, yeah, in, in our 20th anniversary party, I'll do this again and it'll be even bigger. But, of course... 20th anniversary we had a virtual event uh so that was okay but uh it did kind of put a lot of the in-person uh stuff you know to the side that, that's right yeah so i think here yeah, different times but also a lot of benefits so at least we can connect here on yeah. the show but and um, i wanted to pick another question here from ike one of our strong community members he's asking what strategy did you follow to become so big was there a key event so Yes and no. So it's interesting. So one of the things that I would say from from very early on, we as a community, we thought of ourselves as some geeks writing an encyclopedia. And we, we hoped it would be popular. We hoped it would be successful. We, we, you know, you're putting all this work into writing the encyclopedia. You want people to read it. But we didn't compare ourselves to any competition. There wasn't really competition, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so, uh, you know, as we started to get popular, there were a few things. So one of the things that I think is interesting, there was, there was a period of time when what I used to do, I used to go through the access logs. This is way before Google Analytics existed and, mm -hmm. and all kinds of fancy tools. And I would just, uh, I would look at the referrer logs and see what, when people came from Google, what were they reading? And so then I wrote a little page, which I updated from time to time, called What Google Likes. Just to say, like, how is it we're getting traffic? What are people interested in? Because we had a lot mm -hmm. of great Wikipedians who are like, oh, I, I'm interested in helping the project. I could write about anything. Oh, I see. Oh, actually, it looks like World War II topics are popular. Uh, I okay. am interested. I'm gonna I'm gonna write about a battle in World War II. And so they would go and start yeah. a little article and get some traffic. Or you would see sports stars are popular, so people would go, okay, let's let's do that. So there was a lot of that sort of. People were interested in seeing our growth, and they were, you know, they would look at our. Back then, we looked at the Alexa rankings, which were not very accurate, and they're still not very accurate. But it's public, so people would look at that and, and be excited as we're moving up. Um, and then, in terms of events, like realistically, I mean, one of the things that happened is uh, fairly early on was there was a, a bad error in Wikipedia. Uh, mm. And we we said of someone that he had been briefly suspected of having something to do with the Kennedy assassination, and that was terrible. Almost no one saw that page. Um, he called me up. He was an older gentleman. Uh, he was not happy to read this. I got off the phone. We had it fixed within ten minutes because Wikipedia is quite easy to fix. And I thought that was the end of it. But then he wrote a scathing editorial in uh, USA Today newspaper. And it got a huge amount of press attention. And, uh, you know, he called us dangerous and so on. And then they had me on CNN to yell at me. But we got a huge amount of negative press coverage. And okay. our traffic started tripling 
uh, every month. <laughs> like it just shot through the roof because suddenly everybody was talking about this. And then, okay. so I don't recommend this as a way forward. Uh, but the truth is uh, that that's just history. Like that's part of what happened was the, the people became aware of Wikipedia, but it being a mm -hmm. new concept, this idea of very open system that people could participate in, uh, in, in a new way, it just drove a lot of attention and therefore a lot of participation. I, obviously we can say the same thing about the early days of cryptocurrency and blockchain, which we're still in, which is, it's controversial and there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of weird things that have happened and that drives a lot of negative press. But of course that just drives interest as well. So yeah, I don't recommend yeah. it, right? Negative press is not a good thing. So I'm not saying that I'm not saying be controversial just to be successful. I don't think that really works, but if there is some controversy, don't, don't curl up and die in the corner. If there's a real problem, solve it. Like you have that responsibility. If there's not a real problem, you can fight back and, and just kind of go, yeah, actually, at least people are noticing what we're doing. Uh, and so that's that's kind of part of that whole history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's an exciting history. I think then bad PR, it can be good PR. That can be kind of the co conclusion. And, and of course, of this, I mean, I, I think we have to say, like, the whole Satoshi Nakamoto mystery has been fantastic for Bitcoin in particular, but but even more broadly, because what a great story, like what a great mystery, like it's intellectually fascinating that this, you know, clearly innovative thing has come out and somebody has Bitcoins or, or they're probably dead or, you know, who knows, but uh, worth 30 billion. And it's like, it's a kind of mind boggling that that such a thing could happen. And that this sort of industry has boomed and flourished around the work of someone who nobody knows who is like, that's just a wild yeah. story. Uh, if you wrote a movie about that, people would say, this is ridiculous. Like that's impossible, you know? Um, but anyway, it's kind of cool. That's right. Yeah. So the, the mystery around Satoshi Nakamoto is really driving the tension. And it, it also works a little bit like a foundation, I would say, because if somebody would touch the funds, a lot of these things would be, not as uh, precious as they are at the moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I we also once um, sat together at, at a very special one of these Davos moments. I remember it was one of these snowy sh chalets. I think there was Leonardo DiCaprio and Bono was in the room and then you were standing <laughs> next to Larry Page. Um, do you think Google contributed to the success or what's what's the contribution of Google as a search engine to Wikipedia? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, there's clearly a symbiotic relationship. So for Google, their algorithm quite, quite early on recognized Wikipedia as the answer to a lot of questions that people have. And what makes it symbiotic is, you know, the, the types of searches where people come to Wikipedia are not very financially useful searches. Right. Mm -hmm. So people people come to Wikipedia because they they, they type things like, um, yeah, I don't know, Queen Victoria. Right. So if somebody <laughs> just typed Queen Victoria into Google, there's pretty much nothing to sell them, like maybe a book or something. But basically, they're just looking for information. If you type something like cheap Canon cameras, then half the page is ads because you're clearly along the funnel shopping. Uh, and so for Google, 
if all they had was good results for cheap Canon camera, then people wouldn't come to them every single day. Instead, it's like whatever you ask Google, they've probably got a decent answer. And probably if it's a question about knowledge, the decent answer is Wikipedia. And so obviously I always say, people say, oh, did, did Wikipedia, you know, is it successful because of Google? I say, well, or Google's successful because of Wikipedia, uh, you know, because we made the internet not suck. And so therefore, uh, you know, you can actually learn things. So yeah. clearly uh, there is a symbiotic relation between us and all, all the search engines. Like obviously Google's a dominant search engine, but all search engines return Wikipedia very high in the results because for many things, it's exactly what people are looking for. Yeah. And uh, there's a relation, a related question to that, uh, again, from Ike. How is Wikipedia financed? I see often fundraisers, mm. but uh, there was the decision against Google AdSense advertising. So while there's yeah. this symbiosis of Google, there's also yeah. decisions against it. Sure. Yeah. What, what so, are... Yeah. So this was a decision taken very early on. I was always opposed to having ads in Wikipedia. To me, it didn't feel right. Uh, it was possible, and in fact, you know, fandom is advertising supported, so there's nothing fundamentally wrong with ad support for different projects. But for Wikipedia, it didn't seem right, and I think it's been really important and really valuable that uh, Wikipedia doesn't have ads and that Wikipedia is supported by the community. That's, that's done a few things for us that have been very, very healthy. So one of the things is We are very focused, so the Wikimedia Foundation, which is the charity that runs Wikipedia, mm -hmm. is very focused on questions about knowledge equity, making sure that you know the vision of Wikipedia is a free encyclopedia for every single person on the planet in their own language. That's yeah. really important to us, and it's something that we focus on quite a lot. And if we were ad-supported, probably that becomes a secondary goal, right? You suddenly say... Mm -hmm. Do we care about, you know, the next million readers in uh, sub-Saharan Africa? Well, the ad market's terrible there. There's not a lot of money, so we don't care. Whereas in our case, it's like, yeah, of course we care. Like, that's super important to us because we're yeah. that's what we're all about. The other thing is when you, when you visit Wikipedia, I think it would be, you know, you would find it quite mm, odd if you went to read about, uh, let's say, Exxon, I don't mean to be picking on Exxon, but Exxon Valdez, that type of controversy, or Tesla. Let's say you went to read about uh, Tesla Motors, and you saw an advert for Tesla, and you might think to yourself, is this really neutral content, or right. is it paid for by the advertisers? And you suddenly would be under the pressure from the advertisers about the content and things like that, whereas now, like, mm. literally, we don't care what Tesla thinks or Exxon thinks. Like, it's not, not an issue. Mm -hmm. and so, but Tesla could donate uh, as a company. Yeah, yeah, they could, they could. So did the, the donation Elon is, is, Elon is the key donated. financial... Yeah, 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 yeah. Of, of, so we, the, the vast majority of the money that runs Wikipedia is the small donors. Mm -hmm. So we do have, and that's actually also, that's probably as important as the advertising question because mm -hmm. sometimes people say, oh, why don't you just, like, instead of asking for money on the website, why don't you get Google, Apple, you know, all the tech giants should just chip in and pay for it. And yeah. so mm, think that through. Would you really think that's the right answer, right? Uh, I don't think it would be the right answer. And I have great friends, and we're friendly with those companies. I'm not saying anything negative against them. I'm just saying, you know, actually, it's a lot better if we're beholden to the general public, not beholden yeah. to a handful of tech giants. 
Okay. So I, I would see that this neutrality, which you capped over the 20 years, is really a key uh, of the success also um, that you like really made the community, um, made them, created the voice for them. And also they are now contributing not only time, but also financial yeah. support. Yeah. Um, very, very important. I know that... Um, Like, you know, we are, LTX is a regulated entity. We are based in Liechtenstein. We had been engaged with the regulators there, but also talking to regulators in other places. Most of them are blockchain critics and mm. skeptics about uh, cryptocurrencies. They want much, much more regulation and want to go in detail or just like yeah. um, uh, try to uh, put a time machine and say like Bitcoin didn't exist, but they can't really <laughs> ignore yeah. it. It's too powerful to be ignored. But I know you are a skeptic as well. Um, what is your point of view and uh, how do you see blockchain and cryptocurrency at the moment in kind of comparing it to the internet of information at the beginning uh, mm -hmm. of like the 90s and 2000 mm -hmm. and, and yeah. now? Yeah. Um, so here's, here's what I would say. So I'm, I'm a free market person. I believe in free markets and that's fantastic. But I also believe in the rule of law. So I think that 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 business and transactions uh, can flourish in a moral and positive way as long as there is the rule of law. And so when we talk about regulation, the, the problem I have with the word regulation is that can mean a lot of things, right? Regulation can mean the government controls every single thing, or regulation can just mean if somebody rips me off, I actually have a way of getting recourse. Uh, and I think yeah. that's really, really important. And it, it certainly... You know, sometimes I, I've seen people, um, uh, normally younger, more naive people saying, oh, and, and merchants are going to love blockchain because there's no Bitcoin, you know, because there's no chargebacks. And it's like, mm, as a business, like chargebacks are kind of okay, right? Like somebody's not happy with your service and there is a procedure that they can get their money back. Like that's okay. Like I don't really think people would be happy using their credit cards if they thought the instant I hit send, if anything goes wrong, too bad, I'm a sucker, right? That's not really mm. healthy and happy. And so that that rule of law and so, so that regulation aspect of things, it's, it's, it's realistically for a person who is saying, okay, a lot of what's going on in the blockchain space, in the crypto space, there's a lot of dodgy scams. There's a lot of, it's a bubble. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. And, and we all know that's out there. Even if you're, if you're an honest sort of booster, you have to say, actually, it's, it's not great, right? Every time somebody, uh, you know, sort of a wallet gets stolen of $18 million, that's not great, you know, like, or, or a scammer sets up a thing and, and collects a bunch of Bitcoin and vanishes, that's bad. And so the idea of uh, what LCX is doing is, is the only reason I was really sort of interested in getting involved with you guys is, When you said, oh, no, we're, we're like, this isn't some random. I mean, I think when we first started talking about it, it was probably just around the time that Mt. Gox uh, sort of blew up and, and a lot of money was missing and so on. If you had said, oh, no, I, I, I wrote some Pearl scripts and I'm going to start an exchange, I would have said, dude, like, I don't, not, not interested. When you say, no, actually, we're going through all the right channels to do everything institutionally in a way, I'm like, okay, that's actually interesting. I don't know. Yeah where we're going to end up in 10 years time, uh, mm. you know, in this. So, uh, but I'm interested, obviously it's, it's too big a phenomenon. Uh, and so I can't forecast. I mean, I think we're going to see 
some bad times. And I think uh, it's unfortunate uh, that I think a lot of people are speculating. And anytime there's a speculative bubble, the same thing happened in the dot-com era. Right. People speculated and either they, you know, thought they were rich and turned out not to be rich, right? Which isn't the worst tragedy in the world, although it was quite mm -hmm. painful for the people involved. Or they were sort of thinking about retirement and saw a way to put more of their money into a handful of risky assets and lost their entire retirement funds. That's going to happen here. Like people are going to, who shouldn't yeah. be putting that much of their money into Bitcoin or who should be. So, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, the, the, the hodlers, uh, they've done very well. Uh, my advice to them is sell some. <laughs> if you've made a lot of money, sell a taste, right? Get yourself yeah. comfortable. You'll still have enough that if it goes to, you know, a million, you'll still be very rich. Uh, but frankly, like it's a bubble. Bubbles crash. Bubbles collapse. And and yeah. you know, Bitcoin could fall back to a um, hundred dollars. Like that could happen. Like how quickly? Yeah. I don't know. But you know, like a lot of bad things can happen. And I know this because in the dot com boom and bust, um, a lot of things blew up. And it, even that's right. Yeah. Companies uh, who, if you held through at all, you would have made money by now. Um, they they collapsed quite a lot. And so I think people need to be very thoughtful about that risk. Uh, and it's hard to it's really sort of psychologically hard. If you bought Bitcoin five years ago mm. uh, and you've made a real sort of nice for even not even a fortune, but you put in a few hundred dollars and you, you're like yeah. sitting on like this is for many people that would be their biggest asset it's kind of hard to go yeah i could go back to 100 and i'd be quite sad you know it's easier to fantasize about oh you know uh have fun being poor everybody look at me i'm so smart but it's like mm. yeah that, yeah so i think good good points on that um side so i i a lot of, a lot of people are comparing the whole bitcoin blockchain cryptocurrencies also in terms of the stage to kind of the early days of the internet we now have roughly 100 million active users and or wallets out there so it's not billions yet um nevertheless there's a lot of hype around it already and especially looking at different tokens or assets they're like you're right there might be hype and they might go might be going away again so it, it feels like in the, in the internet there was a CompuServe, then aol Uh, and then we had Google and, and, and Facebook, and but before Facebook also there was a MySpace um, as a social network and, and these things. So there's an evolution. So I, I'm a strong believer that these things, um, that there's an evolution also in, on, on blockchain technology. And who knows if Ethereum will be really the leader. There are so many good other projects out there from Polkadot to Cardano or, or what else. Mm -hmm. um, and so there will be an evolution. But what I truly believe in is that There's this, uh, the first wave uh, of the internet where you drove the development of the internet of information. And now we have the internet of value. And um, if, if you listen to what Jack Dorsey is saying or Elon Musk also, they talk about um, freeing the internet and you kind of freed the, the knowledge and, and put it into the hands of thousands of people from uh, third world countries to now here, the, the first world um Uh, on, on our side here in London, uh, for example. And then now, if you listen to these uh, thoughts, it's about 
freeing the monetary system and giving financial services or money in a digital form to everybody on a smartphone. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> it is, but I mean, but I think it's easy to get caught up in the hype. So I, for example, it's quite common for me today. I bought my lunch uh, and I just tapped my smartphone. So I've already got yeah. financial products on my phone, but it's, it's just connected to my bank. And that's like, that's not a, that's not an innovation that has anything to do with blockchain whatsoever. Uh, and so it's, it's sort of easy to say that, but it's actually, you know, I mean, I, I said this once to someone on Twitter, it's like, just imagine if you could walk into a shop and just touch a card. And I'm like, that's exactly how I buy groceries all the time. Like, it's not, I don't know where you live, but that's kind of like not an innovation. And so I don't, yeah. that doesn't mean there is no innovation here. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the innovations I think are far more abstract. They're far more potentially b2b or you know sort of i mean i think there's some really interesting still kind of unknown because this is this is where we get into a really complex area of right. international regulation but mm -hmm. you know like the idea of like for many countries around the world mostly poorer ones right doing transactions is actually quite difficult with wealthy countries so like if i want to send um, you know, uh, money to someone in sub-Saharan Africa, I may find that very, very hard. Yeah. Uh, like that's not necessarily something they are often denied access to PayPal and, and some of the, those kinds of things because of the, their banking systems, not ready and this and the other. So does blockchain allow people in those places, but that doesn't sound like a trillion dollar world changing market opportunity, but it could be the root of something quite interesting. But that's like one use case where I'm like, yeah, actually, I can see that. Like people want to transact across borders mm. um, in a way that's new and different because it's quite hard to do. Um, but I mean, I think there's a lot of problems that have to be solved. I mean, certainly the, uh, you know, it the, the cost of transactions on blockchain is ridiculously high. Uh, and varies and, you know, also, you know, I, I have a lot of concerns right now. These aren't philosophical concerns about mm -hmm. blockchain and cryptocurrencies in general, but current concerns, as many people do, about some of the infrastructure and the organizations that are a big part of the backbone of the infrastructure. And I'm thinking now of like Tether, for example, like the question of, the financial stability of Tether as a stable coin is, is a huge one, right? If, yeah. if Tether were to collapse tomorrow and the market lost trust, it would have enormous ramifications throughout the entire ecosystem. Mm. And they haven't traditionally been particularly transparent about what they're doing. Uh, they are sort of one step beyond regulators and one step beyond, let's say the rule of law. Uh, And I think that's problematic. And I think there's a huge risk there, which is why, uh, again, to go back to, uh, you know, the, the regulatory environment and the rule of law yeah. environment, you know, if there were a stable coin, and I, I do think some of the other stable coins seem, seem a little bit better, but I don't think any of them, well, I'm not an expert. So I, I'll just say what little yeah. I know, um, I haven't seen a stable coin that I trust as much as I trust Citibank. Right. Yeah. I've been banking with Citibank forever. 
and I know if I put my thousand dollars in Citibank, then I forget about it for 10 years and I'll go back and I'll have a thousand plus a little bit of interest, right? It's stable, yeah. right? It'll be there. Uh, whereas I feel if I put a thousand dollars into Tether, hmm, I'm not so sure about 10 years from now, right? I don't feel yeah. confidence in the organization. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just saying I don't see a framework there that gives rise to the level of trust that makes me feel that this is a stable thing. And so I think that some of those problems, and this is where we get into the question of if there are use cases that are meaningful, mm -hmm. right, then this technology uh, will thrive in the long run. But yeah. there can be a lot of bumps along the way if we have organizations that are not, they're playing fast and loose with the rules and, and basically people lose money that they shouldn't have lost because somebody was corrupt or careless or, or whatever, you know, it can be yeah. really problematic. You're, yeah, you're totally right. I think that's uh, a key element that like if, if innovation is happening, um, the players also uh, have huge responsibility and now with, with stable coins, especially that the, the system is the right way. So that's why LCX has now invested several million dollars into the regulatory framework, into security, into the platform as well. And we're taking it sometimes more slowly because it's also a lot of responsibility um, which we are like starting on the platform, like um, yeah, and I mean responsibility I, I, I about you, the users, yeah, yeah. I mean, for you, the the it's always it's the classic thing of uh, like, and and this is just sort of my advice to you, which is that is exactly the right way to go: slow, careful, thoughtful. Obviously, the downside risk is, meanwhile sort of these wild, crazy things are going through the roof and people are sitting on billions and billions of, of assets and deposits. And so, you know, you may miss the wave or you may, you know, you see what I'm saying? Like, that's hard. However, I think, you know, just in terms of advising LCX, which normally I wouldn't do publicly, but here we are, is to say, look, <laughs> you, you, you could sort of say, yeah, the regular thing sounds great, but let's just go for it, right? And then you probably, it's too late. You already didn't win that race, right? All like tether is a huge thing, right? They've already won the let's be wild and crazy and just get things done race. And I think the real thing is, it's like, okay, longer term, if we think this is going to be mainstream, maybe tether will eventually publish a proper audit and everything turns out okay, or maybe not. Uh, and in the maybe not case, I do think there'll be a really rough time for this industry, the blockchain industry. But what can come out of those ashes is to say, well, actually, from now on, like you, you kind of do want rule of law, right? You want to make sure mm -hmm. that there's some oversight, proper audits, proper, you know, so that you can go, you know, actually the money is where it's supposed to be. And I think that's really yeah. important. That, that's right. So, for example, that's why we, we don't have Tether on our platform, but we have USDC, the US dollar coin from Circle. And uh, Circle is also engaging closely with the World Economic Forum, so they have a high reputation there as well. Um, that, that's where we also met. And, um, you know, there's, there's a clear organization behind who takes responsibility. Yeah. And now what we are also seeing is that central banks are jumping in and, and saying, okay, there's this innovation in technology and we could leverage it to put digital money to the people. And then you, you still would tap the, your card um, to yeah. buy something. But the, the whole transaction 
there would be fully automated and it would not be in the silos like it is now. There's a there's a Visa silo and there's a MasterCard mm -hmm. silo and then there are banking silos. Yeah. But you would break it up and say that the, the money would be kind of de fully decentralized. Mm -hmm. I think that's where innovation... It, mm -hmm. it, it's it, there's no way to stop it. This is coming. Like for it's just a matter of when and how and who will be the players um, doing it. Will be will it be community driven? Mm -hmm. And that I would love to see like um, Internet of Value kind of Wikipedia um, <laughs> project. Yeah, really like it takes that same approach of credibility. Uh, like also saying no to a lot of good deals you probably had on the table, and I think that that's a, like gives mm. a big applause from my side to you on and and to the whole Wikimedia Foundation mm. team um, who did that. Now I, I wanted to spend also a little bit of time um, on your other aspects. Um, mm. When I look at your title, founder of Wikipedia, but also founder of Fandom and Wiki Tribune Social, mm -hmm. can you quickly explain first? Um, What is fandom? Sure. And yeah. um, how so, did it come together? Yeah. What's the status of fandom? Yeah, so, so fandom used to be called Wikia. So this is um, advertising-supported uh, wiki communities. Uh, the reason we rebranded to fandom is it turns out that the vast majority of the communities are fan communities. So, you know, the, the, the great sort of older wikis we have are like Wikipedia. Of course, it's like the name is a parody of Wikipedia, but it's about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's huge communities for Grand Theft Auto, Game of Thrones, House of Cards, you know, all, Fortnite, like big fandom communities about all kinds of things, obscure, mainstream and all of that. Uh, that company has done incredibly well uh, during lockdown uh, because, you know, what have we all done all around the world? We, we sat at home and watched Netflix and people wanted to look things up. Uh, and so... We've had a real, uh, a very successful kind of time of it. Uh, we also own something called D&D Beyond, which is Dungeons and Dragons Beyond. So it's a suite of online tools for playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's mm -hmm. also been incredible and boom during lockdown. Just really that sort of fan community is huge and, and we provide tools for them. Uh, so that's, that's done very well. Uh, WT Social is my attempt to... It's a pilot project. It's to think, rethink social networking, to really think about um, what can you do that's more collaborative, more open, more community-driven. So rather than having this issue where the company has to police the content, how do we bring in the idea of the community being able to police itself? So if somebody posts disinformation, the other community members, the trusted community members, have the authority to just get rid of it and, and deal with it. So that's uh, you know one project. And then within that company, the, the other thing that I've been doing is uh, I'm, I'm sort of interested in video, I'm interested in what we're doing here. Um, so we've created a product called quiznightbeyond.com, which we're launching soon with Fandom as a, as a partner. Uh, and you can go on www.quiznightbeyond.com now and like put your email address in and we're, we'll send out an email when we're ready. But That is to play quizzes online. So it's just something that we've done. I've done with my family. Uh, you just go on and, and you play quizzes and it's fun. It's just like a fun, silly side project, but I think it can be very popular. So the thing about me is I always say I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and that's fundamentally what I am. And so I don't self-identify. I mean, yes, founder of Wikipedia and all that, but like, that's not the whole of me. It's like, 
I like to get up every day and think, oh, what's, what's something interesting I can work on? What's fun? So this is my, my fun project, uh, which I think can be very successful and financially successful and will help fund the WT social uh, kind of experimentation. Okay, yeah. So uh, I think entrepreneurs has it in their in their genes and their DNA to kind of uh, solve problems, and you solve the problem here of boredom with your <laughs> well. Um, I mean, what, what with, I, with the family starting yeah. the quizzes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, basically, we started doing uh, quizzes during lockdown uh, with my mom and my brothers and sisters and so forth, and we live all over the world. And we we're doing it on Zoom, and Zoom is great, you know, but it's just like a boring sort of business conferencing tool uh and mm -hmm. i thought oh, wouldn't it wouldn't be more fun if you could actually click and there's sound effects and like fun things happen and ooh, you won and th that sort of thing so just basically created that from scratch and yeah it's fun but um like also with when you said you renamed vikia to fandom because of there's this fan culture mm -hmm. uh, i can also tell you that with with blockchain project as a as a whole but also in particular with lcx there's also a fan culture so we have a mm -hmm. we have a, a merchandise store with with t-shirts and and polos people are buying it and they're they're holders of our utility token And they become fans. They are passionate about our success, and they also help us a lot. So mm -hmm. this community-driven approach—that's, I think, for me as an as an entrepreneur, as I started many businesses from like uh, the the late '90s to now, I've never seen that. You had clients, mm -hmm. you had users, yeah. but now, like with blockchain yeah, and, yeah. and cryptocurrencies, you you turn the audience and your clients into your your big family so yeah, um yeah. And, cool. and our it's a lcx family and that's very yeah. exciting also to see <laughs> great yeah. so as we round this up um jimmy i always ask my guests what are the key three trends you see in the industry and how does it apply to what you do now yeah okay so uh i think one is uh Although it's going to pull back a little bit because we are going to come out of lockdown and we're going to want to see each other in person again. But I think the rise of exactly what we're doing, uh, video conversations, mm -hmm. people have gotten used to it. You do it with your friends, your family, which you never did before. I, I never had a Zoom call with my mother and now we do it every week. So even if we that diminishes, I think that this is here to stay. Like the video aspect of things is something that, uh, frankly, I remember... When I was a kid, uh, probably about 10 years old, the, the phone company like AT&T came out to our school to talk about the future of technology and they showed us a little film and in the film, people pushed a button and on the screen, they talked through the screen and we we're like, oh, that's cool. Like you could yeah. talk. And, and then for a long time, that like never happened. And now it's like happened like, oh, wow. It's like we're living in the future. Um, and to us, it's just like, oh, God, I have to go on Zoom again. But uh, we are living in the future. So I think that video element of things is, is huge. I think the, uh, the mobile revolution is, is becoming mature. Well, I think there's still a lot of room to run there. I think that the, um, you know, there's a lot of mobile apps that in five years we're going to say, oh, that was obvious. Why didn't we have that already? Uh, because mm. we've got the penetration and the usage levels now. And then finally, I think the global aspect of things, and this ties back into mobile, for example, uh, 
Uh, I was just talking about this one earlier today, which is when Instagram got bought by Facebook, uh, and I don't remember all the numbers exactly, but it got bought for like a billion dollars, and it was a team of yeah. something like 12 people. There are yeah. right now, there are amazing teams in Nigeria, right? A team of 12 people in Nigeria could create an app that becomes popular and goes big and could be a unicorn, right? Because it's possible now. And there's no monopoly in Silicon Valley on clever people, smart people, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so I think we're going to start to see some real tech innovations coming out of places like that that traditionally haven't been big. They can make global products or, interestingly, they can make products that Mark Zuckerberg would have never thought of because his life is so different from their lives. And so I think that there's all kinds of interesting things. So the global piece, the growth of mobile and video, those are my three trends. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. It is, I think, especially this decentralization from innovation that it's not everything is, needs to be happening in Silicon Valley is so true now. And we well, do see that in the blockchain project as well. Um, right. Look, and, and people strong, can work together remote, yeah. like re remote working has always been kind of a dream of the internet, but we never quite got there. Now by mm -hmm. sort of unfortunate circumstances, all kinds of companies have been forced to go through that transition and learn how to do it. And some of them are finding, no, actually we need to go back to the office, but a lot of them are finding, hey, you know what, this actually works. Like we're going to continue this or we're going to meet two days a week or we're going to, you know, like there's a, there's a bit, uh, it's a lot of change has happened and we don't know how much of it's going to stick, but it's really interesting. That That's right. And I think the change will continue as we uh, go along with the formation from the internet of formation to internet of value. And it was an exciting discussion here this evening. Thank you so much for taking this, the time Very with good. me and the community here. Uh, yeah. Lots of greetings to London and yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank yeah, you very much. Well, hopefully, I'll see you in person sometime soon in Davos. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Jimmy, okay. talk soon. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, Thanks. This is LCX Insights Live. For more insights, please visit lcx.com forward slash insights and follow us on Twitter at LCX. Onwards and